Hello, 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 my amigos, and welcome to this, the bonus part of today's episode on Mount Everest. That's right, amigos, that's one place I can say I'm not going to visit. Now, I'm not going to say that I don't want to, I'm just saying I don't think I've got the guts, las agallas. Remember the word gut is tripa. If I say I have a beer gut, that means tengo tripa cervecera. Another way we can say that is a beer belly, que me gusta because it's got that double alliteration. But also we say guts is agallas. Yes, right? And another use of this word, too, is to trust your gut. Fíate de tu estómago, de tu instinto. It's a really good word to know. Very short word, but it's a very rich word, as I said. All right, so let's talk about this first attempt and this mysterious camera that I mentioned before. Well, the first recorded attempt to climb Mount Everest was by a team of British climbers, and this included uh, George Mallory, and this was in 1921. If you know a little bit about this mountain, then the name George Mallory is synonymous with this mountain. And George Mallory and Andrew Irvine, that was his partner, they made an attempt in 1921, and then again in 1924. And they were spotted, to be spotted is to be seen, they were spotted on the way to the summit. The problem is nobody ever saw or heard from them again. So nobody knows if they made it to the summit or not. Everybody knows that they were on their way, de camino, because there's, there's, you know, uh, some obviously some witnesses that said it. It was documented, but there is no photo of them at the summit, and it's because, well, one of their cameras was, uh, well, lost just like they were. Now, everybody assumes that they died on the mountain. Well, not true, not true. Mallory's body was discovered, and this was in 1999. But there's something that's missing, Irvine and the camera. And of course, because a corpse can't tell you any stories, but if they can at least get that camera, they'll know if history was made. And the original guys to summit were George Mallory and Andrew Irvine. So there is a search. There's still a search for that camera. And as uh, anyone who is searching for clues, any kind of artifacts, anything that they can find. And among those quote-unquote artifacts, well, you'll find dead bodies, cadavers on Everest. And as I said in the first part of the show, they're even used as a landmark for climbers. So climbers know, okay, when you see green boots, you have to go left. And green boots is one of the most famous corpses on the mountain. Obviously, he's named after the the bright green hiking boots that he was wearing. His body is near the Northeast Ridge. And the ridge, that's another good word to know with mountains, el borde. 
And I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, isn't that cruel? Why don't why are they using these people's bodies there? Isn't this sacrilegious? Isn't this kind of, you know, not paying respect to dead bodies by using them as markers? You know, so you know which way to go? Well, if it was that easy to take a body off of Mount Everest, well, maybe they would. And it's not easy. Remember, it's not easy to get to Everest. And then, well, if you've got a a cadaver or a body that's frozen or buried in snow, good luck trying to get it out of there. Do you know any climber who's willing to take the body down with him? No, I don't think so. I don't think anybody's going to volunteer for that job. So green boots, as he's called, is just one of the many casualties. And those casualties, it's interesting because when somebody dies, usually then they're buried. But these people die on the mountain and they become part of the mountain. It's almost poetic. And they believe that green boots is the body of an Indian climber named Swang Parjor, who died in 1996. And they're, it's, they can't confirm it 100%, but the last day this guy was seen alive, uh, he was wearing those same green boots. So uh, this, the mountain has got so many stories, and some of those stories are there frozen into the mountain forever and ever. Some call it the world's highest graveyard. A graveyard is a cemetery because, well, they said that there are nearly 300 mountaineers at the time of the recording of this podcast. 300 mountaineers have died while attempting to climb this beast of a mountain. And 200 of those dead bodies are there on the slopes, las pistas, los laterales, on the slopes of Everest. And you can imagine what area they're found in. The area that we mentioned before, the death zone, and obviously those corpses are frozen. They're mummified because of the cold temperatures. And as I said before, it's extremely dangerous to bring these bodies down, so they're left there for dead. And you know what? If I'm a climber, I put myself in this guy's shoes, no pun intended. And I think if that's where I died, I'd want to stay there. Now, maybe my family would want my remains, mis restos, but uh, I think becoming a part of the mountain, as I said before, what more poetic way of dying than, you know, facing your greatest challenge. But some climbers will tell you that Mount Everest is nowhere near the greatest challenge. As far as climbing is concerned, they say it's easy. It's a piece of cake. All right, maybe I'm overstating that. But they they said it's not one of the hardest mountains to climb by far. In fact, as I looked it up, they said that the hardest mountain to climb is K2. That's right. Now, K2 is located in the same area, in the same mountain range. But K2 doesn't have these fixed ropes. It's not as trafficked as this one. The weather is more unpredictable. Avalanches, the technical aspects as well. It's steeper and steep es con mucha inclinación. The logistics, the trek. So again, the reason people go to Everest is because it's the tallest, but it's not the most challenging. 
And that brings me over to the 8,000ers. There's a category of mountains on this earth called the 8,000ers. And this was established by the International Mountaineering and Climbing Federation. And they recognize 8,000ers as the 14 mountains on earth that are over 8,000 meters in height. Now remember, this is height that is above sea level. That's what they use. And remember earlier I told you guys that it wasn't the tallest mountain in the world? Well, yeah, it is if we're talking above sea level. But <laughs> the one I'm talking about is bigger but most of the mountain is below sea level. And that mountain is Mauna Kea, which is located on the island of Hawaii. And it's taller. There's a great trivia question. What is the tallest mountain on earth? Now, if you don't say uh, above sea level, then obviously you can say Mauna Kea is the right answer. And it has an altitude of only 4,207 meters, which, as we said before, is much lower than Mount Everest. But uh, the total, if you measure all the mass of this mountain, the part that's underwater, the part that is above sea level, it is 10,000 meters tall compared to Everest's 8,848 meters, making it the world's tallest mountain. Now, again, it depends on if we're talking above sea level, but half of this mountain, uh, Mauna Kea, is underwater. It's submerged underwater. So great trivia questions. You'll baffle your friends. Now, I was curious. I mean, what are the reasons that people don't survive, that they don't make it out alive or in one piece, as we say? And it's because a lot of times they don't respect the rules. People come up there and say, I'm going to do things my way. And the Sherpas are the first ones to tell you, you have to respect the mountain. You have to respect us. We're the local people. And there have been brawls. Ha habido peleas. Uh, Westerners, gente del occidental, saying, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to continue because I know best. And I'm richer than you. And, of course, these Sherpas are like, I'm trying to help you that I'm your guide remember you paid me to help you and there's something called the two o'clock rule and the two o'clock rule is a very very strict rule and many lives have been lost because they didn't follow this rule and this is due to debido a if you want to sound more formal you can say on account of the extreme and unpredictable weather conditions are you ready for this you have to reach the summit by 2 p.m. local time. If you do not reach the summit by then, you have to turn around and go back. You are not allowed to reach the summit after 2 p.m. Why? Because as we said before, it's not only about ascending, it's about descending too. You can't stay up there. It's like gravity. What goes up must come down, right? So... What happens? Well, a lot of people plan to get to the summit. And when they get up there, they realize, oh, it's a little bit late, but that's okay. No problem. And the weather changes. So what I've read, and I don't know the exact numbers, but it was baffling that so many people that have died and lost their lives on Mount Everest, it wasn't ascending. 
It was descending. It was coming back down. So they already did it. They already got to the top. They did that part. But I guess they got cocky, arrogant. Uh, who knows? There's a lot, you know, the, again, anybody who's going over there and saying, I'm going to conquer nature. Yeah, okay, it's admirable. But you also have to be a little bit crazy because when you remember that nature is um, this unstoppable force, and we know it. We've seen it with tsunamis. We've seen it uh, with Niagara Falls in a past episode. Don't play with nature. In the year 2005, uh, a man decided to tempt nature, but he did it in a vehicle, and this was a helicopter. And this guy, Didier Desaye, a fighter pilot, a fighter pilot is Uncatha, and also a helicopter test pilot, a guy from France, well, he landed a helicopter on the summit of Mount Everest, and that was the first and only time, again, since we've recorded this podcast, that someone has landed a helicopter on the summit. Now, the reason helicopters don't go near there, well, most helicopters can't fly at that altitude. And then, as I said, you could get a very strong wind gust. A gust es una ráfaga, como la palabra gusto, right? A strong wind gust, and it'll send the, the helicopter flying into the face of the mountain. Y decimos lo mismo, right? The north face, the south face, some good mountain vocabulary. Oh, and while we're at it, I didn't even stop to talk about the glottal T. How could we talk about mountains <laughs> without talking about the glottal T? Now, I know the British, they say mountain, mountain. But Americans, we don't feel that the T is as important. No, 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 no. We say mountain. We nos comemos la T. So let's try it. This is the, the sentence I always use to teach my, my students the American glottal T, uh, the emission of, of that sound, right? That, that's, a, that's the glottal sound. So are you certain there's a fountain in the mountain? <laughs> I know you hate me, but if you can say that right, you sound like an American. Are you certain there's a fountain? In the mountain. Ahora, si te cuesta, you can, always, you can always say, Are you certain there's a fountain in the mountain? Lo que no voy a permitir es que digas mountain, fountain. Porque no. Ah, como que no. So, are you certain there's a fountain in the mountain? Or if you want to be Americano, giddy, as you guys say, Are you certain there's a fountain? in the mountain. And we couldn't talk about Everest without talking about a guy who is just breaking records everywhere. And he's a Spanish guy. He's from Sabadell in the north. And this guy is not only like a superhuman, but he went to the top of Everest without supplementary oxygen. And he ran uh, se fue corriendo. I mean, he's out of his mind. And he's done so many others. He's done the Matterhorn, Mont Blanc, uh, Kilimanjaro, which is another one as well. And this guy, what he does, uh, if you've never heard of him, look him up. His name is Kilian Jornet. And remember, to look up es buscar. And he went over to Everest, and supposedly it is the fastest known ascent and descent. But, 
some people dispute this as well. As I said, there's never anything that's cut and dry. And cut and dry is clarissimo, is seen. I mean, even the height of this mountain is disputed. But whether he has the record or not, I don't think is as important. What I think is important is that a 33-year-old man, a guy in his mid-30s, decided that, you know, okay, I climb mountains, and he started in the Pyrenees. He started with the 4,000ers. Yeah, remember, you have the 8,000er. Well, you got the 4,000ers as well. And then he started to work his way up. And to work your way up is ir creciendo poco a poco until he was able to not climb, not walk, but run up mountains. And you can check it. I know he had a blog. I'm not sure if it's still going, but the the blog is called Summits of My Life. And I think it's quite interesting because, uh, well, he's a, a local guy. Okay, he's not from Madrid. <laughs> that would be even more local. But he's a Spaniard out there who is testing the limits of man, of humankind. I was curious, and when I prepare this show, I always think of things that I would want to know in hopes to share them with you. And hopefully you're curious about this, too. And I was curious if there was any wildlife up there. You know, what kind of animals can live? Because if humans can't live up there at these extreme climates and temperatures, well, are there any animals that live up there? What do you think the answer is? Well, as expected, no. There are no living creatures up there. There is no uh, buffalo that roam on the top of the mountain. But... Once you get to the 6,000 meter point, there you'll start seeing some snow leopards. Uh, Leopardos de la nieve, we say snow leopards. There's also something called the tar, which is a goat-like species. And you can also find the Himalayan yak. I was going to say hack. The Himalayan yak. So yes, there are animals out there on Mount Everest, but none of them are above 6,000 meters. And certainly none of them are in the 8,000 meter death zone. I, I love saying that. You'll have to forgive me because I think I've said the word death zone. There we go. Another time. About 10 times on today's podcast. But it just sounds cool. The death zone. And remember, guys, there are a lot of books, there are documentaries, there are so many different references and resources that you can use to learn about this fascinating mountain. One that I highly recommend is Into Thin Air, and this is about uh, one of the deadliest disasters uh, before 2014, and this avalanche that happened uh, killed 16 Sherpas. This was in 1996. A reporter named John Krakauer, maybe some of you have heard of this book. It's a very famous book. I think it was even a bestseller. It's called Into Thin Air. 
And also the following year, el año siguiente, uh, there was an earthquake in Nepal that killed at least 22 climbers. So again, you're playing with the elements, you're playing with extreme temperature, you're playing with Mother Nature, and uh, nine times out of ten, again, this is not a study, no es un estudio, but nine times out of ten, you will lose. And we'll wrap up talking about the excrement. The feces, the caca, the poop, yeah, call it whatever you want, the crap, all of that. Well, what do you think? The climbers take it with them? No. So technically, uh, aside from the, the highest graveyard in the world, it's also the highest bathroom in the world as well. According to the number I have here, this is crazy, there is about 8,000 kilos of human feces on Mount Everest. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, man. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but doesn't it decompose? I mean, it's human waste. Well, guys, think back. Did the bodies decompose? So why would the other organic material decompose? What we've learned is nothing decomposes up there, not even the poop. But you know what, guys? We could complain about that and make a big deal out of it. A big deal is hacer que sea una gran cosa. But you know what? I don't think it's a good idea to make a mountain out of a molehill. And esto es hacer una montaña de un grano de arena. We say to make a mountain out of a molehill. And we'll wrap up this episode with that very useful expression. I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode and that you'll join us in our next episode of F-Y-I.